0: Good evening and welcome to another thrill-packed, fun-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice
1: Things, the antidote to modern living. And joining me this week, Sir Michael Livesley, we have. Uh, you have Hans Paul Lars Carmichelson, I've decided because we could because it is now finally look, at Scandinavian jumper weather. Ah. So I can walk along the beach later and pretend that I've got some, I don't know, bipolar or whatever condition they've given this character and find a body near a bridge. Yes. Something like that.
0: Pretend you've got a Volvo parked up
1: at the top of the hill there. Absolutely, yeah, that I can, you know, have in soft focus behind me whilst I find half a torso or something. I should be doing that.
0: I'm trying to remember if I ever watched any of those Scandy things. I watched a thing called Corden. Did you ever hear of that one, which was like, were they cordoned off part of something or other? In fact, I think that was Belgian anyway. I don't know. I'm full of shit. Don't listen to me. It's nothing to do with James Corden. Oh, God, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. That's the reason I can't watch Teachers. Oh no! No, oh no, I used to like teachers, and then it was sort of like it was just—it's like oh, there's some annoying fat shit in it. But at least he's sort of kept in his place. Yes, um, he has the odd thing. But no, absolutely not. Now, now that he's blossomed into a fully blown sort of you know side of ham. Sh- side of ham. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, no, absolutely not. Nothing involving that cunt. So there you go. You've got the <laughs> you've got the blood up.
1: Straight away, go. haven't you, accidentally? <laughs> um, yes.
0: No, no, he's, he's, he's universally loved, isn't he? I mean, isn't he one of those people that no, you've never, never met anyone who likes? Well, I've never met anyone who
1: likes him, but he keeps no. getting employed, so somebody
0: must. I think it's one of those things whereby um, it's just people will sit in front of anything. You ever go around people's houses, uh, mm. telly watchers, and the mm. telly's just on? And no one takes any notice of it. I mean, it's it's drip-feeding the subconscious, but it's just on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So do you think it's a case of that?
0: It's just on. It's just habit, isn't it? It's very strange to...
1: But it's a very expensive habit for the Americans, because they must be paying him an awful lot to present I don't know, tonight. But he does as
0: he's is. told, doesn't he? He's one of these fuckers who'll do as they're told, and he'll keep churning out the shit, and... Mm. I don't know. I, I mean, answers on a postcard.
1: The the baffling appeal of James Corden. I don't understand it at all. I I really don't. I remember because he guest he was uh, guest in two episodes of uh, the program that we're about to mention. Far too early Doctor Who. Right. Uh, he oh. guested in two episodes of that, and I was watching an old one the other day, and I was thinking, oh, this, this era's not so bad with Matt Smith. Maybe I'll enjoy it, and next time, and there's his face. No, no. 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 So I've stopped watching not. it completely. I'm I'm not watching it no. anymore. No. He's the a posh Pete.
0: Posh Peter Kay without the jokes. Yes, isn't he? You know what I mean. Yes. Um and it's just like no I, I I mean you've caught me on the op here really. Um mm. I, I was on about some quite engaging TV show called Corden, where they cordon off part of I think it's Antwerp because of a disease outbreak. Oh, okay. Um, it's quite interesting. It's quite, um, you know, post-apocalyptic sort
1: of thing. Well, no, you know what? I do like those programmes. Because The Bridge, from where I've taken my current fashion trip. Yes. I don't, have you seen The Bridge? The no, bridge no, is, no. The are these things I know? Very... Are you going to turn me on to a whole new world? I may have to here. Because it's a bit like, well, you know, the whole thing for slow TV. Yes, um, we like that. that you, we love that. And, of course, that's come from Scandinavia. Oh, um, okay. And it's no coincidence that my favourite one of those is, um, which you can find on the old iPlayer, is the sleigh ride. Oh, and you're love literally, it. you're just on a little sledge being towed through the outer, you know, the, the desolate wastelands of Lapland yeah. for two and a half hours. Yeah, that's as exciting as I want my television to be. But then you've got that, but within the within sort of like Scandinavian drama where there is tension. But you know what they don't do and this is what i like what they don't do is they don't build it and build it and build it to a massive cliffhanger where you have to do, you have to come back next week they resolve the cliffhanger and then they set up a new storyline come back for that storyline next week now that works for me right so it's that a very works.
0: different way of doing it isn't
1: it it's it's so different i've no interest it's like that shit that was set on a submarine a while ago oh she's locked in a torpedo tube and it's filling with water what will happen i hope she drowns <laughs> But I won't know because I'm not going to tune in and find out, quite frankly. Um, however, if yeah. you sort of give me a complete storyline, resolve it, and then say, oh, but it's not finished yet. Here's a new strand. I'll go, well, I enjoyed that story. I'll come back for the next story. That mm. works for me. That works. Interesting. So, Very I'll interesting. I'll watch those. I would highly recommend you have a look at The Bridge. The Bridge. All right. Plus, we'll start there. It's only about six episodes. It's not your usual one hundred and twenty-eight episodes or a limited run, or what you know. It's got to be one or the other these days. We've got yes. all nine episodes yes. of this, or we've got all one hundred and twenty-eight of this. No, just just it's a six-part story. Yeah, thank you. That'll do. There are one
0: hundred and twenty-eight episodes of Trailer Park Boys, oddly enough. <laughs> but I digress. Now, yes, you do. It's strange because since about nineteen ninety. Um, most of the interesting music has been coming from the Scandinavian countries. You know, bands um, like Dungan and Anecdoten and all these bands that are quite interesting because what they have is, you know, we have this traditional sort of layout of our rock bands, don't we? It's drums, mm-hmm. bass, electric guitar, singer. It's kind of the standard format. Well, yeah. what they've had in, in certainly in Sweden uh, and Finland and Norway and places like that is their setup, their standard rock setup has included a Mellotron. And that's something that they've had since the late 60s. So there was a form of music came out of Sweden um, in the late 60s called prog. It's not progressive Mm -hmm. rock. It's Mm -hmm. called prog music. And so what you've had is this sort of, even the pop bands, it's very interesting to note just how much the, you know, obviously ABBA being the the big prime exponent of of Swedish pop, but Mm -hmm. it's interesting to note how much overlap there is between this prog rock um, and and the sort of poppy side of things, very interesting stuff. I mean, there's 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 actually British. Oh, changing get a, into a bit of a John Peel. Really yeah, interesting. Quite all right, yeah. Interesting stuff, Paul. Um, yeah. But there's a few British bands lately. who Sort of started with that sound. There's a band called Sid Arthur, and there's a, there's a, an Australian band called. Oh, Oh Jesus Christ almighty. They're really bloody famous now. Anyway. Anyway, so this, this sound. It's funny um to think that the Scandinavian thing, which is kind of I suppose that culturally, um we don't get to it's it's not that mainstream over here is it Scandi stuff it's not it's not that mainstream Tame Impala no, are the Aussie yeah, band who are, are right. very are very like got this this Swedish sort of Scandi sound so what you've had is you'd, you've had this sort of their own continuum of popular music which is very influenced by classical
1: music um, well, yeah there's, there's, the, there's the influence of classical I think but you've also got the fact that you've got an experimental side within it and a desire yeah. to not necessarily fit a format and of course we Will always, when it comes to popular music, we are always going to try and fit that sort of three and a half minutes, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, verse, chorus. Yeah. But, you know, we we will always try and fit that. But but then you look at some of the of the more interesting performance. I, I personally, I do love, especially earlier stuff from Sigur Ross. I yeah. love. Cigar Ross is another great story. example. It's beautiful. Yeah. Wonderful, ethereal stuff. But yeah. they certainly don't adhere to the sort of like to the average. You can't listen to one song and then expect the, a similar thing uh, again. It's and certainly an album of theirs is much more like, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a musical experience yeah. rather than song, song, song. Um, Tark is for me, that's a beautiful album. God knows how old it is now. It's probably about 20 years old. But it's a beautiful piece of work. But there, there is that experimental side. There's a side. It's, it's more art than just mm. music. I think there is a whole artistic subculture around these bands that you find, and um, there's a connection with nature. There's all sorts. I, yeah. I love, I love that. Certainly really with anecdote, and um, you'll find a lot of
0: that stuff. Mm. Uh, there was a great band from Finland in the seventies called Wigwam, and then again, there are all these bonkers, bonkers bands that are just, just. The only way that they are categorized is Scandi. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because I, I'm I'm not too sort of well upon it. But then you've got Krautrock and all that business. But um oddly enough, you don't like Vikings, the T V series, do you? No. No, I don't. Who makes that? <laughs> <laughs> uh What's MGM. That what? Amazon Prime. Well it's
1: it's Norwegian. They're all Scandinavian, but, but oddly enough you don't like it. No, I don't. Absolutely not. I can't be doing with that either, because it looks like it's had too much money spent on it. It's had lots of money spent. And it. it's got CGI, and you know my issue with that. It has. It has. It's it has. got CGI, and you can tell if something's CGI. Now, I know I can tell if it's a model that Matt Irvine's hung off some fishing wire and we it's like filmed that. upside down. I like that, because human hands have touched it, whereas CGI, someone... Sat in a lab programming. I'm not interested. No. I can't. I can't. I can't do the leap with CGI because I just go to computer.
0: Yeah. To computer. Did you see a series called Fortitude?
1: I wouldn't imagine so. No. Well,
0: Fortitude was a, a, a I think a sort of British go at the
1: Scandi thing. Now hang so, on, was that Michael Gambon? That's it in the first series. I've got that recorded from when it went out, and I haven't watched it. It's in the good. Old Skybox. Yeah. It's a Sky production, so common. Common, absolutely common, yes. I can so see have the, to get the past sort that. of
0: pebble-dashed council house with the sort of the, the rusting dish attached yes. to it now. Yes, um, no, I, I would have no, to I mean, get it's past good. that. And gambons okay. are always great value for money. Do you remember that late-night dinner party thing they used to have on BBC Two? Was it Ruby Wax?
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Year, like 20-odd years ago, and he was on that shit-faced,
1: was he? Yeah. He was brilliant on that. Oh, he's wonderful, Gammon. I think Gammon's, um, when he was talking, there's, a, there's an interview where he's discussing how he learns lines, and he says, you must learn them and you forget them. Learn them and forget them. Apart from Shakespeare, because that shit sticks forever. <laughs> Wonderfully summed <laughs> up. i tell you what I watched last night. I don't know where
0: this came, well, I do. It was flicking around on the old uh, Prime or Netflix or one of those things. But Vicious is on there. Oh, now, okay. Now, I realised last night when we were discussing sitcoms, Vicious is the best sitcom for the mm. last 20 years. I don't give a shit. who, no. I, And I know the reviews were terrible, and I know people think it's crap, but fucking hell, for those two... I mean, to my knowledge, right, to my knowledge, mm. um, Ian McKellen and Derek Jacobi haven't done comedy before. TV sitcom. No. And no, they so. do it in their 70s, and they're just masters like that. Yeah. It's Instantly. just, like, what? I was trying yeah. to explain to someone, it's like, look, it's not easy, this. Mm. You know, I remember years ago when it was out, it's like, it's not easy. Oh, but they're amazing actors. Yes, they are. They're amazing tragedians. But mm. then to be able to just flick
1: a switch and do that, I said, this isn't easy, you know. You've got you to know, be amazing. You've got to be amazing. But I think you've got to have something else, haven't you? Because if it's done in front of a live audience, as it should be, and as it always is, people who say it can laugh together. It seems like it is. I, I'm certain it is. I mean, I can't really think of the last time that a program genuinely had canned laughter. Even Mrs. Brown's Boys apparently has an audience off their tits, presumably. But people love you've that got... shit. I know. Yeah. And the thing is, they love that shit whether they're watching it on television or they're in the audience. And I think that's the skill, isn't it? Because you've got you've got to play this big enough for an, for a live audience but small enough for the TV screen. Mm. And I think that, that that performance fascinates me about how you sort of like strike that medium. Because if you don't play it out to the audience who are watching live, you don't get the laughs. If you pl- if you overplay it, then of course it's not going to work on TV and it becomes pantomimetic. So I think that it's such a skill for any actor to try and play to both mm. the live and a recorded audience at once. And it, But it doesn't surprise me that those two do it so perfectly. You're right, that's, that's such and a... And Frances g- wonderful in it as well. She's I mean? wonderful. And um, and there's another actor in it, and he wears glasses. Yeah, um, I can't think of his name, the posh bloke. The posh bloke, and he's in The Dominators, Patrick Troughton. Right. Um, he gets shot within the first five minutes, and he, he died about, oh God, about three months ago now. Right. But you've got this wonderful, wonderful cast of old pros, and if ever you needed evidence that the average performer's age on television should be 60 plus yeah. it's that show yeah seasoned yeah. professionals it's so good.
0: I, I mean, it, it feels to me like, do you remember the sort of Sunday night slot that you'd get when you were a kid? There was sort of. There was a few of those, wasn't there? There was one called Hot Metal with Robert Hardy, who played the uh, the editor of the Scum newspaper or something. Mm. Um, but he also played another guy in it. And then there was one called Og with Henri Tell. I think it was called Og or something mad like that. Henri
1: Tell. Yes, Enright, yeah, Enright has that, o. how you say yeah, yeah, it, yeah.
0: yeah. I think it was called August, where he was in a loony bin, and hmm. th- there was this sort of 10 o'clock Sunday night sitcom, like, The New Statesman is a- another example of it, they were generally written by Marx and Gran, yeah. you know, for the most part, and it's got that feel of that Sunday night sitcom, I think the first one I remember of that was Agony when I was a kid, is it called Agony? With Maureen Littman. Littman. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then there was one called Three's, is it Two's Company with Donald Sinden and Elaine Stritch, is that
1: right, when he played Two's a butler? Two's Company, yeah. yeah, and that was, now was that an adaption of the American version which starred show. Peter Cook? Because of course he yeah, flew right. over, Must he flew be. over to America to play a butler in a sitcom and right. hated every second of it because it was hard work Yeah, and came back quick.
0: yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I remember that. But there was this sort of strand of Sunday night comedy, and it's got that feel to it. I don't know why it's got that feel to it, but it's, it's got that Sunday night sitcom vibe to it. I yes. must look that that... Uh, what do you call... How do you say his name again? I don't know how you N. Rytel. N. Rytel. He was one of the voices on Spitting Image,
1: wasn't he? That's right. I first encountered him. He, he was on uh, Radio 4, used to do this lovely thing, and I was exactly the right age. I think I was... 13, 14 or so, when Radio 4 used to do um, Saturday nights, they would have uh, 11 till midnight. It was comedy slot. Um, and the 11 o'clock slot used to be something a bit highbrow, and that's where Stephen Fry did Saturday Night Fry, yeah. which was him, Jim, uh, Jim bent Hugh Laurie, and occasionally Emma Thompson. And then it would be followed by a sketch show, which was a bit more manic, and there was one which was called Dial M for Pizza, <laughs> and it used to make me laugh like a drain and it, it was um it was enrightel felicity montague and robert bathurst doing these you know the sketches and it was so well written but you would look at the names of the writers and it was people who would like um james brown and ian hendry who would occasionally write for drop the dead donkey and writers like that yeah. and the other one they had was live on arrival and that fascinated me because that was live from the bbc's paris studios uh, paris street studios uh, which was Hugh Dennis Steve Punt Flip Webster who I knew because she'd just done an episode of Star Cops and Guy Jackson I think his name was and that was a satirical show but because it was you know live on arrival it really was bang up to date so the only way to actually understand what was going on was I had to have watched the news that day then I'd get the jokes Um, that was in that lovely spot, and M. Rytel was a a player but of course yes a spitting image Do you remember him spitting image
0: Um, But yeah, those sitcoms on a Sunday night were, uh, it's got that vibe to it anyway. I, and for my money, it's, I suppose it's a weird thing because it shows that people are no longer able to allow themselves to appreciate good traditional sitcom it's it's kind of like because you watch it and it is i mean all right the main characters are a a gay couple uh an established 50 years they've been a gay couple interestingly enough when you do the math and work Mm. out how long they've been a couple they've been a couple since before it was legal to be in a gay relationship so Mm. it's kind of because that's sort of taken as red um people don't like the cozy Sitcom setup. There's always got to be some kind of edge to it, and it is. I mean, the the the, in, the way they insult each other is just poetic. It's Shakespearean it's, insults. It's,
1: that's the word. You it's know. beautiful. It's it beautiful. is And
0: and, and they are like two fucking ball ballet dancers. The way they just riff off each other. It's a genuine joy to watch. Um, but it is very co- It's very cosy. It's very yeah. cosy. Now it shouldn't be cosy. No. Um, because, but but it is cosy, and so it it got terrible ratings, including uh, a, that Kevin O'Sullivan who seems to talk oh, out of his
1: ass. No, absolutely awful. I mean, I suppose the coziness comes from the fact that it's it's the production value, isn't it? It's the three sided set, the domestic yeah. setup. Um, it's one the, set. It's one set. I mean, it's basically it goes right back to I Love Lucy and the honeymooners. Yep. You know, yep. it's that, including staircase. Absolutely, including staircase. Always, you know, it goes back to that setup, which people now think, well, it's old, so therefore it doesn't work. But it does it work. Does. It does. It absolutely does work. And yeah, you're right. These days, that that the traditional sitcoms vanished. Really, I don't include Mrs. Brown's Boys. God, um, no. Oh, utter Yes. Absolute um, cack but it has it's it's gone i suppose the last last time the bbc really tried it presumably was when they remade a few old sitcoms they made an episode of are you being served you're right how the no. hell could they do that i mean to be honest with you we're not making
0: those people anymore you no. know We're simply not making Frank Thorntons anymore. You know, sorry, we don't make Frank Thorntons anymore. But you know know what I mean? I mean, Frank Thornton, I don't know anything about his life, but I'm guessing that at some point in his life, he
1: was in the military, the way he held himself. Well, he'll have done his national service. Well, yeah, absolutely, and he's he's of the right age, so that like Salas, who we've talked about yeah. before, he will have been in the war. Yeah, so so there was that, you know, there was that breed, and that breed's not there anymore. So you've got that, but I think also you've got you've got a lack of interest and a lack of investment, crucially, uh, in the arts, which we and we are seeing a trickle down effect of that now. I think yeah. the lack of investment, financial investment in the arts in this country. Um, which you aren't seeing in other countries. So you, your Scandinavians are flourishing because there is investment from government in the arts. And the, the best example of that at the moment is um, coming from South Korea. Because South Korean culture, popular culture, is really quite huge now in terms of yes, music. and especially since the, what was the film Parasite that won the Oscar. That's right, yeah. And the music with all of this K-pop malarkey. Yes all that but what you've got is a government who in 1991 92 decided to very heavily invest in the arts purely to make it more acceptable internationally and it's been 30 years but it's working and now yeah. of course it's paying dividends back to them you know and yeah. and we've stopped doing that we've stopped investing in culture and i think that that's that's a part of it unfortunately the arts is the always it's always the first thing to cut isn't it Because you don't need need art. I think that certainly in this country, what we decided,
0: well, I don't know if this was decided, but about 30 years ago, everything seems to have moved to a more centralised model. Everything, you know, you've got Sony buying up all these little labels and then you've got ITV buying up all the TV stations and then you've got mm. the Trinity Mirror Group buying up all the little newspapers. And so, and so everything all of a sudden. And then you've got one big newspaper company, one big TV company, and one big music company. And then if someone buys all of that, mm. you know, then you've got everything under one umbrella. And I suppose that when you run a monopoly, why? What? Where is the? You know, where is the utility for you in in going out and discovering new talent when yeah. you own a back catalogue and you can then buy arseholes like James Corden who can mm. do precisely what
1: you want them to do when they want you to do yeah. it. And where's the need to look for diversity and difference in in the arts? And by you know, I mean, for example, you know, like we do have from Scandinavia, we have these sort of uh, different movements and things like that. Where's the need to look for that? Because if it's not going to be financially successful immediately, well, why take the risk? Why invest at something that's likely to be a loss at first, break even after a decade, and then become successful? Why bother?
0: It was the same thing that we found with the Sir Henry, you know, doing the Stanchel stuff because you get in touch with people and it was like, look, can you get this? Can we do this? You know, the guy I know the Granada Reports. And it's like, look, this is a bunch of people. This is, you know, Liverpool-based artists who've set up their own thing. They've all done it in their own time. They've, you know, they've had faith in the product. They've hired a theatre. It's sold out. The reviews are great. We're about to do this biggest show, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and he said to me, he said, you know, he said, if if someone out of Coronation Street was in it, you'd be quid's in. Yeah. He said, they're just not interested. You know, so all the time, they just want bankers. They just want bankers all the time. They just yeah. want guaranteed returns. I mean, of course, once you've made something a success you know, with the greatest of respect to all those celebrities who did sort of join in and enjoy, you know, and and I'm not saying anything about them, but once you do make something a success, you know, as Rupert always says, once you've been to the shop, bought the ingredients, cooked the meal, laid the table, and sat people down, they will eat. Yeah. But until that point, people don't want to invest in stuff, they just don't. They just want uh, a guaranteed return on their investment.
1: Mm, They do, unfortunately, and that means that to create that you've therefore got to struggle on the bones of your ass and work on a on a diet of pure faith
0: yes which is is not very easy and and as you and i both know trying to get that across to young people is incredibly difficult you know look you stick at it and who knows in 40 years time well you might be earning as much as someone in tesco (laughs) (laughs) yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's but, very difficult to inculcate but it
1: that. is that again it's do you do it uh you know it's that lovely word that we've talked about before amateur meaning for the love of do you yeah. do it for the love of it if you don't yeah. love it my god anyone who enters this wanting to be famous well fine enjoy it fill your boots or whatever um, i think that's a
0: very different trip that I think mm. that that is, I think that people who want to be famous will do it by any means necessary. I mean, I think that they're, they're looking for a vehicle, aren't they? That, you know, it, be it acting or music or so. That's just, what's the route? How can I become famous? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, whereas people who just do it, you know, mm. genuinely do it. I, I can't it. think who it was. Someone much cleverer than me once said, it's like trying to push a cork underwater, trying mm. to stop doing this stuff. Because yeah. you can't, it will hound you. You know, if I get a tune in my head, if I'm writing a piece of music, or I'm, I'm not. I've never written a song in my life. It doesn't work like that. You'll get a song in your head, and, oh, you'll, God, and yeah. it'll
1: bug the shit out of you, and it'll bug the shit out of you. It's oh, like it. um, yeah, they arrive formed, don't yeah. they? It? It's fully formed. It already exists. You've just got to unpack it. That's and right. Then, and then make it understandable to other people. I find that all the time. That that's so. Where the fuck that comes from? No idea. I've Who never had where- to sit down and, and work at an idea. No. It's just, there you go, have that. Oh, God, I better do something with this. Yeah, it's yeah. a responsibility,
0: isn't it? It lands in your Ooh. head, and it's yeah. your responsibility to then sort of winkle it out, whether exactly, you want to yeah. or not. And that's that's the thing. It will, it will drive you and bother you for days. You'll be lying in bed, and it'll be like... Bzzz. And you're just like, oh, bollocks. And you've got to do it. It might be three in the morning, but you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I found voice recorders on uh, phones and notes on phones just invaluable. Because, yes. you know, the amount of ideas I would have forgotten um, yeah. and stuff like that. But it's 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 literally that analogy of trying to push a cark underwater. Cause it, well, you can't walk away from it. It's no. never going to leave you alone. No, and absolutely. being famous has never been an aspect of it. The idea that, you know, um, I've been privileged enough to earn a living from it. And mm-hmm. when I say a living, I don't mean fucking, you know, birds and gold bikinis and yachts and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I just mean that I can uh, afford to, you know, keep the lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is good enough. That is good enough, isn't it? It is,
1: absolutely. That's what you do it for.
0: But uh, but yes. as any assistance, I mean, I think that I was I'm I'm right in saying that there are a couple of European com- countries that actually will pay the equivalent of some kind of job seekers or some kind of other allowance for artists.
1: There are, you're absolutely right there is you know because um, because the, they are valued whereas yep. here the arts like I said the arts isn't a necessity because if we get rid of the arts people won't starve people won't die hmm. they won't be nourished but they'll they'll still survive enough to pump money into the economy um, and pay for Netflix but this
0: goes thing. back to that schism we discussed the other week when a uh, stroke of a pen Henry the eighth henry the eighth outlawed art overnight in this country because when he removed the church of rome with the by the utilization of the i think it's the fifth commandment Thou shalt not create false idol Mm. he destroyed the statues and the stained glass and made it illegal. you know the only art was religious art and i think that goes to the very core of why we have no respect for art and artists in this country
1: well yeah i mean we do have a habit of destroying what we've built up every few hundred years don't we yeah um I mean, there was, uh, who was, I was listening to Peter Hitchens. Now, there's a divisive chap. Um, But he was, um, you know, he was asked, well, what do you actually like about Britain? And he he said, well, I, I enjoy Shakespeare and other things that I'm currently allowed to, but give it a decade. And... There, there is an element of that. I mean, Shakespeare is someone we're, that we're told to be proud of by people who've never read Shakespeare, never watched Shakespeare, yeah. haven't got any interest in Shakespeare. We're told, be proud of Shakespeare. Well, I'm not proud of Shakespeare. He sounds like he was probably a bit of an arsehole. But, but, but how long is he going to hang on, though? How long is
0: he going to hang on? Because he's a white, probably, even though it's an anachronism, people would say middle class um, you know, straight, well, who knows? Um, well, probably not. But... but he's a white man. And so yeah. with all the talk of decolonizing curriculums and stuff like that, how long will his work endure? It, it, it doesn't have put into perspective how we've lost so much art over the millennia, doesn't it? We don't realize that art mm. um, is the victim of political um, fashion, Do we? We, You know, you don't sort of, as a young person, you just think that art will stand and fall on its own merits and it will endure accordingly. Mm. But you don't realise that there comes along times whereby it's
1: not fashionable politically. Well, no, absolutely, and and you can see. Well, I mean, Shakespeare is a brilliant example there because you've got the way it was bolderized in the Victorian era, um, rewritten, reworked, take out all the dirty bits, take out the bits about the beast with two backs in Othello, and that sort of thing. So we're not beyond, you know. It's not as though Shakespeare is there in its pure form, and and he's still sort of um, you know respected or anything. What we like is we like the name and the fact that we've got someone who we can go, he's ours. Well, yeah, try watching some. Maybe. Yeah. No, probably won't. But we'll be too busy watching Trailer Park Boys. Ah!
0: Well, the thing is, I can guarantee that people won't be sat discussing Trailer Park Boys in 500 years, like like we're discussing Good. Shakespeare. But Good. Shakespeare, um, I do wonder how long that will endure in this current climate. Um, I don't know... Um, I don't know if he gets society He seems to have, like you say, there's there's three different epochs that he's he's weathered.
1: Yeah, isn't it? You know, it's it's adaptable, isn't it? So you can this this. It's so dense that mm. text that you can shape it to fit current viewpoints and things like that. Plus, you can ignore things because of the language. You can ignore things that you don't want to acknowledge. So you can ignore the anal sex in Romeo and Juliet if you want. I choose not to, but you can ignore that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but but then, if you actually sort of point it out to people, so say, like, well, what's your opinion on the anal sex in Romeo and Juliet? Then, like, oh no, no, we can't, yes, we can't have that. We got. I don't nice. recall that popping up on the GCSE literature, English literature oh, it, exam. It doesn't um, bizarrely, it pops up via a popper in per, I think it is um, that they that they uh, refer to. So it's it it's all there, and I think that if you talk to people who know about him, Stanley Wells, who is the 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 governor when it comes to writing about Shakespeare. Um, and in Michael Wood's series, In Search of Shakespeare, which is brilliant, a brilliant piece of work. And he's asked at one point, you know, was Shakespeare bisexual? And he says, you've got to get away from these silly ideas to do with sexuality. They're very modern. Exactly. If you go, if you go back 400 years ago, this person fell in love with this person and they would probably go to bed with them on who they were, what colour they were, what gender they were. Didn't really matter, and but it, I think that if we were to actually suggest that now, you know, people would be up at arms suggesting that yeah. Shakespeare and his and his uh, and his fellow because people all have, over the have
0: a uniformitarian mindset and mm. they think that the way things are are the way things have always been, mm. you know, and so that's why they pour scorn on you know certain uh, outdated attitudes or whatever from a hundred years ago from you know someone who's been and died and long ago and it's kind of like well they didn't even never mind hold similar opinions they didn't exactly see the world the way that we do no. you know um but as we know perception is everything and perception shapes behavior and so if you control perception which seems to be the thing that uh between the social media companies and uh between you know all the all the film studios and everything, everyone seems to be constantly vying, don't they, to um be the most virtuous and and to be this and to be that. I'm 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 sure that society's been here before. I'm I don't think it's a new thing. It's no, it just new to been. us because we've never seen things fall apart like they're doing
1: at the minute. No, no, that's very true. We haven't. Um, talking of things falling apart, Mike. Yes. So, after last week, with Trailer Park Boys...
0: Yes, let's return to nice things.
1: Well, we could try, but we're going to fail here. <laughs> um, I thought, no, maybe I'm being a bit of a stick in the mud with this, so Ooh. I'm going to... Yes, I'm going to try something new, which I do, once a decade, I think, let's try something new. Did we try a Trailer Park Boys? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. No, what we did, though, sure. however, was we, we popped Netflix on and we thought, let's try something on Netflix. I don't know what to watch. I tried watching this thing a while ago called Br- Bridgerton and I thought, that looks historical. That looks like it might be... It's just bollocks, awful, nonsense, just right. crap. Never just people it. in gurrish costumes pretending they're in the 17th century and I'm sat there going, well, you wouldn't have worn that under the sumptuary laws. So the, the moment you do that, you've lost me. I've no interest yes. at all. So how do I approach this? So I thought the best thing to do is see what's trending at the moment. What are most people watching on Netflix? This is fatal. <clears throat> this is fatal. What people are watching at the moment is something called Squid Game. Squid Game, right, yes. I've heard lots about this. Right. So I thought we'll give this a go with an open mind. And it starts off... Now, Um, I... I don't even know where is it made in Korea. I'm not even sure it. It's something like that. I don't even know. I wasn't that interested. I just thought we'll give it a go. We'll give it I a go. You're an expert on on Korean art. Oh good god, no! I just know phrases like K-pop. I don't know ah. what it means. Special K. I think something like that. I like that. ice pops. That sort of thing. Yeah. Yes. So I thought I thought I'm going to give this a shot. Uh, pardon. And it starts off. It's bringing the bile up already. You can hear that. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I thought to myself, I'm going to give this a go. So what you've got is a story about a chap who is divorced. Lovely. chap who's divorced and he owes money to uh, the banks and he owes some to a local gang. Lovely. Okay, this could be a nice bit of social realism. Let's see what he does. This could be quite engaging and a, a humanist thing. Then he meets a chap. And the chap gives him a card and says, oh, we can pay off all your debts. So he gets involved in this thing called Squid Game. Right, right. And a then credit what card. Happened. You mean it was a credit card? He gives him a card. You said no, a business card. Oh, oh, I see. Well, sorry, sorry. Gives gives him a business card and says, "Oh, come along and and do this." So, it, so he goes along, um, and he plays the squid game, and it starts with a game of grandmother's footsteps. Lovely, Lovely. can cope with that. Except if you move, you get shot. Right? Oh. And there's about 200 people playing this game. And they, they just all start being shot. And there's blood everywhere. I'm like, oh, no. I don't oh want to dear. see this. No, I don't like this. Would Hazel so Adair there's... approve of this? Absolutely not. Her and Peter Ling would not like this no. sort of nonsense. So you've got that. Then there's a game of a uh, tug-of-war, but over some sort of precipice. And half of them fall down that to their deaths. And it's just murder. It's just death after death. Now, the reason I don't like this, well, there's several, which we will now go into. First of all, I don't like this because it's common, obviously. But aside from that, I don't like it because clearly what's happened is people have sat down and just gone, write a list of all the children's games you can remember. Now kill everyone. (laughs) It's <laughs> that. That, that's the formula, okay? Right. There's there's nine episodes of this. I shan't be watching two to nine, I can assure you. No. Right? So let's write down a list of how we could kill people. Okay, fair enough. But that's the plot. That's it. It's just killing people. And I don't want that. That's terribly stressful. You know what it was like? It was like watching Punishment Park, the lovely Peter Watkins film, right. but with no thought behind it at all. It's like you've got a toddler and fed them a load of quash and gone, right, off you go, make telly and uh, uh, kill everyone. And I always think with that sort of thing, the biggest responsibility you have got with this sort of thing is if you're going to use violence the one responsibility is show that it hurts. Yeah. I always think you should do that. I yeah. don't like casual violence. It's like if you've ever seen someone actually being shot there's nothing very Hollywood about it it looks like it hurts mm. you certainly don't fly 80 foot through the air, you just sort of crumple so I don't like that sort of glamorised thing and Philip Hinchcliffe when he was producing Doctor Who, the justification he had for showing some quite horrific gore was he's said, like, I'm fine with showing it but you've got to show it hurts you've got to show Mm. that it hurts so people knows there are there are consequences to violence and in this it's just it's just death after death after death and you are immediately desensitized to Mm. it so what you're watching is to say oh how will they kill people next Is that really the number one trending? Do you know what? That it had up until, I think it was Wednesday when I checked. It's been watched 111 million times. Wow. But
0: again, this is the thing, isn't it? Again, that we were saying about the the media and social media are all vying for our attention. So they can very easily create a buzz around some. I mean, that Squid Game has been weeks trending on Twitter, hasn't it? Yeah. So it's kind of a case of, oh, well, I better watch it. Well, because everyone's watching it. But then you realise how wrong you were to do so. Absolutely. just horse shit. It's just the same as any of these sort of kids' toys that come out, it
1: Must-haves, and people yeah. get them. And they're a load of shit. They're a load of shit. Plus you can just go, oh, I'll binge. If you're common, I'll binge it and watch all nine in yeah. one go. Uh, no, no. Awful. I mean, I am I am somebody who's still traumatized by the last episode of Blake Seven. To be <laughs> fair, when they got shot, so that's been off for a while now. But I think that with that, you know, you build if you build a character up and then you kill them off. My God, that's effective. But these days, we use death and violence just to for yeah. that momentary sort of scandal, and it's so ineffective. If you think back to when we were young, dear, quite yes. some time ago. If somebody died on one of the soaps, because, you know, a soap was a job for life, and it was – if you killed someone off – Stan my God, Oh, my God. And that death then became something that coloured the programme for yeah. years afterwards – these days, Emmerdale drops a plane on lesbians every two weeks or yes. so. You know, it it, it loses the effectiveness. Immediately. But I mean, there's,
0: there's the whole uh, the whole planet's geared towards a kind of, you know, the, the the sort of the sanctity of human life has been undermined for decades Mm. now whereby we don't particularly you know give a shit do we you know what i mean um i mean then you have something shocking like the mp who got murdered yesterday you know um and and to be quite frank it 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 astounds me that people actually uh, find time to to comment on that i I I suppose it's because it's one of their own as such with the politicians um that's not to undermine the fact that it's a completely horrific fucking event yeah and and you know but there are people murdered in that fashion um Potentially, I suppose, every day of the week, you know, oh, someone God, is stabbed yeah. to death like that. You know, yeah. but I, I suppose we only seem to cur when it's somebody famous. My bottom line here is society only seems to cur when they're told to cur. Yeah. It, it, it appears to me that the media and the social media are able to turn on and off the, the society's emotions like a tap, which, um, I think speaks to this thing whereby I think we've been desensitised to human suffering and death in general for the past
1: 20 to 30 years. I remember a friend of mine from back back when I used to do a little bit on the newspapers, um, there was someone who told me that they'd struck a deal um, to get some CGI work done, and it was to produce um, photographs of Madeleine McCann, as she is now. Okay. Okay. As she is now. But they did a bulk buy. So they could get uh, (sighs) pictures of, as she is now, up until the age of 18. The thought being, essentially, we are going to make a big story out of this one. Because you've got um, young, attractive, female child, middle class family. We can run this. We can go with this. Um, And the, the thing which, the only thing that unsettled the person I was talking to, was he said, I've seen the one that we've done for when she's 18. and She's in a bikini by a pool. Jesus Christ, man! Now we've got a few years to go till we see that one, but that will be out there. But they decided that that was a story that should run. Other ones, not very interesting. We don't want that one, "Ugly Child" or something. So that one doesn't run. But this one we want to run with. You know the the cynicism, disgraceful. Uh, it absolutely is. It's just shocking that sort of thing.
0: Paul, we have ventured into the sewer of unnice things, haven't we? For about maybe twenty minutes here, we have, a bit and I'm probably to just... blame. I can't yeah. think how we ended up in that sort of. Oh, mm. I know how. I can't. No, I can't remember how. Anyway, but it's it it's happens. one of those things, isn't it? You know, season of mists and mellow fruitfulness. So mm. nice things. Let's return nice things. with a vengeance to nice things. Who's going first with the nice things this week? You or I? Well, uh, you go
1: first this week. Off you go. You can go first.
0: Okay. Now, I have mentioned it, but because my house is being all ripped apart, um, yes. I've not managed to sort of uh, get to it, and, and me being ripped apart as well, let's be honest. Yes. Um, yeah. So, there we go. I got the old Play for Today book, mm. um, which is very pleasing. They got Mr. Rossiter on the front there. Oh, that's um, beautiful. I'm en- I'm going to enjoy It's an ex-library book, so I'm not oh. um, too pleased on that, but this is... Such a difficult book to get hold of, this Irene
1: Shubik one. Is that how you say mm. it? Yes, it is, Schubert. yeah. But just do me one favour with it. Just yeah. give it a sniff. Give it a sniff. Does it smell of libraries?
0: Not really. It's a, it's a oh. university library, you say? Oh, uh, oh, yes, indeed. It's not the no, same. I like my libraries un- to smell of old ladies. That's right, yes, yes. And, uh, you know... We don't get that anymore, do we? We don't get the old. The, I've got a load of Catherine Cooksons in the loft that you know should should uh, definitely scratch that itch for you. Should you wish older old lady. Absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to this um, mm. because I I think that it's strange to think that you know this one book. I mean, we now have. I saw a tweet before you may have shown it me. Is it Phantom Publishing? That's right, yeah. And I think they're at some book fair today, and the stall is just littered with like very interesting books about interesting things, you know. And mm. and when you think about it, there was such a paucity of um, information of, of books you could buy on on telly in the old days. I've got Halliwell's Telly Guide. Do you ever remember that? Oh,
1: I do very, remember that. Very yes. slim volume.
0: I've got that. So that you had
1: that. You had this play for today, but lots of stuff about cinema, but very mm. little being written about TV. Yeah, absolutely. It used to be such a big thing, didn't it? If, uh, certainly, for certain TV shows in the 90s, once these shows had finished, if there was just a photograph from one of these uh, yeah. published in a magazine, that felt like nectar. It was yes. so rare that yes. there would be anything other than that. It and was, you'd cut so, things
0: out the newspaper, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Y- you know, you'd be like, oh, like, there's something in this, or there's some. And it was such. Um, you kind of, I suppose it's the pre-internet thing. I mean, I must have gone to the library and photocopied reference books because I've got books, I've got photocopies still to this day about things like when the boat comes in and about James Mitchell and
1: stuff like that. So there must have been entries in much weightier tomes. Well, there were, but there was also, I mean, I don't know if you ever did this, but the Central uh, central Library in Liverpool on William Brown Street has had uh, the Radio Times mm. going back to the late 50s, just all in, yeah. in folders, so you could just go through and just look at old Radio Timeses. Uh, God, I love doing that, but I, I soon discovered that whoever they got them from must have been of a similar mindset to me, because every single listing for Doctor Who had been very carefully cut out. Oh, really? Everything. So when I first found the edition for November 23rd, 1963, it, oh, let's have a look. Oh, it's gone. Right. For, that's gone. Um, And even the front cover with Marco Polo, Gone. Rest of the magazines intact, apart from the listing on the Saturday. Yeah. But uh, it, but just to be able to sort of glance through those now—that's a lovely smell. If you imagine that. Oh yeah. Files of the Radio Times in a library—they smell beautiful.
0: The basement of Olga books that I've discussed before, where I sort of went and got things that I, I suppose I, you know—I I suppose I should have paid for. But anyway, I was allowed to roam free in a basement of a of a. A room that had been collecting newspapers and magazines, you know, for about 100 years. Mm. The stuff in that room. There was, like, wads of unsold, like, women's magazines from 1945 and things like that. There was incredible stuff in there. So, another thing that I've got, um, yeah. the um, Rupert Booth's Patrick McGoohan book. Not a number. Oh, Patrick okay. McGoohan, a life. Very interesting. I've not looked at this yet. Um mm. But things that sort of turned me on to it a little bit were... He interviewed... Rupert Booth interviewed Mark Eden for it. And he talks oh, about okay. how um when McGowan was on top of him, you know, strangling him during mm. the scene in The Prisoner,
1: it's just like, he'd gone. He could, yeah, because didn't could... Eden say something like... um When he looked up and he saw him and he said, I realised he's not going to stop. He's not no. going to let go. No. He said he's so, gone. Yeah. His words were
0: he's he's gone you know oh. so that nervous breakdown that he had during uh the prisoner mm. you know it, it sort of manifested itself you know throughout the whole thing i mean um i didn't know he was such a boozer Maguire. I, well, no I, um, I had no but, idea um but yeah he was a massive boozer um so you know the queer fella as they called him on mm. set um I mean, the thing is that it, it's so strange, isn't it? Because his career kind of exists before and after the prisoner. It's yeah. very much the delineation point.
1: It is. I mean, um Hell Hell Drivers. Yeah. That's a superb film. When oh, you've yeah. got Stanley him Baker, and Hartnell and Stanley Baker, Sir James, and Sid James, Herbal Sean Long. Connery, all in that film together. That's a brilliant piece it's of It's such work.
0: a good film that as well. It is. And and it's of course, wonderful.
1: um, What's his
0: name? Wilfred Joseph in it. You know, the pissed um, butler in... um, Oh, God. I'm on the Alzheimer's Express. The Wrong Box. Yes. Uh,
1: He's the driving instructor with Stanley Baker. Oh. It's just... Now, there's a cast. Now, it's like you say, we're not making those people anymore. Those people, we aren't making those anymore. Who would you cast that with contemporaneously? I don't know. Uh, Ross Kemp. Ross Kemp and James Corden. Ross Kemp
0: and James Conn. That would just be hell freezes overdrivers, wouldn't it? <laughs> I wouldn't like to watch any anything involving those two chaps. No, no, no. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and, and another one with Connery, one of his early ones, The Hill. I'm sure you've seen The Hill. The Hill. Um,
1: oh, I have. Yes, In Korea. I absolutely it's have. It's very
0: Korean-themed you know, show.
1: Yes, it is, isn't it? What I love about uh, Sean Connery is to go back to my nice thing of the other week, my, my Jacqueline Hill book, is that Jacqueline Hill is the is responsible for Sean Connery having a career. Wow. Um, absolutely. It's all down to her. And it's because her husband was uh, Alvin Rakoff, the director. And Jacqueline Hill was doing, um, doing something like a play for today, but I think it was for Associated Rediffusion. And Rakoff was directing it, and his lead dropped out. And Connery at the time was known um, basically as an extra and as a muscle man. And Jackie Hill said to Alvin, uh, when this person dropped out, she said, get Sean to do it. And Rakoff said, but Sean's not an actor. And she said, doesn't matter, the ladies will like him. (laughs) And so he cast uh, Sean Connery, and that was his first big role. Requiem for a heavyweight, that was. And it was entirely down to Jackie Hill saying, ladies will like him. That's how his career began. Wow. But there's another lovely bit in that book thinking back to it now, um, which is um, about their relationship when they used to work together on set, Jacqueline Hill and Alvin Rakoff. Um, And it was when someone asked him a question about how he could be objective about his wife. Um, And it was after he'd said, cut on a scene, and then he went down uh, down to the stage and he talked to everybody and congratulated them, and then went up to Jackie Hill, put his arm around her and kissed her and said, darling, you were marvellous. And they said, well, how can you be objective when you're directing, directing your wife? And he said, well, you'll notice she only became darling after I said cut. <laughs> sums it up beautifully. you know. Up until cut, she was just another actor. As soon as I yeah. said cut, it's my wife and she's yeah. always wonderful. But yeah, entirely, Jacqueline Hill is the reason that we have Sean Connery and Drivers and as James Bond and as everything else.
0: Yeah, Hell Drivers is, is something I return to at least once a year. Mm. And Stanley Baker's one of those actors um, who's forgotten, really, isn't he? You know, he's a hugely successful actor.
1: Well, I mean, a star in his day, but massive. now you're right.
0: Uh, he went to the, Didn't he have the same um, English master as Richard Burton? That's right, yeah. Yeah, they come from the same place, don't they? So Stanley Baker was always the kind of the competition, really. But, I yeah. mean, Stanley Baker, some of those films he made, I mean... It's just so strange isn't it that 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 these big stars can be forgotten i mean y- you mm. know um it's it's like any number of them I was reading today about michael kane he's he's saying that he's retiring isn't he at eighty eight that's it you know yeah. and he's he's to sustain a career for what fifty fifty years fifty five years fifty more yeah
1: more 60. well because with kane Now, I I could be wrong about the first bit, but Kane, I think, used to share um, a flat with Gambon. Um, They shared a flat together, um, and Kane uh, wasn't getting anywhere. And he said, um, if I've not made it by the time I'm 30, that's it. I'm calling it quits. I'm going. I'm stopping. And it was on the morning of his 30th birthday that he got a phone call out the blue and uh, was offered Zulu. Wow. on the morning of that birthday when he was going when he was like, "Call it quit, do you want to do zulu and there's the career taking off there, but it those, must be those... before that it because mu- zulu's sixty nine and the italian
0: yeah. job's sixty six isn't it it's got to be bef- it's got be something before zulu that it
1: must be something before zulu. it must be something it's his thirtieth birthday that he was uh, that he was doing it but what what I love is the fact that when you look at hell drivers and you look at some of the Hammer stuff that was made in the 60s, you know what my favourite thing, and even This Sporting Life, mm. these are films which could have been made in colour. Yeah, Plenty of colour film around. They could have made them in colour, but they're still in black and white. And that, for me, that, that lovely sort of artistic choice. Do you think it gonna, was that and not money? I, I, I think it must have been... Well, I mean, money may have come into it, but then again, I mean, something like This Sporting Life, I mean, it's not a small-budget film. Is this spot
0: in life a Woodfall, or is 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 it like a different studio? Is it? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not certain it is a Woodfall, but um, I mean Woodfall was a, such a small company,
1: wasn't it? Hmm. You know, um, so I could see that with them, it wasn't artistic choices. But generally. Hammer, Hammer weren't. Hammer were a big company, and you know their films sold. They did extremely well, but they they kept. A lot of them, not all of them by any means, but a lot of them, they kept in black and white up until, I think, 64 was the last one. Um, Isn't the Abominable they, Snowman in, in black and white? Yeah, that is.
0: And is When's X that? the Unknown? That's black and white? Yeah, and the Quatermass ones, the first Quatermas two... Quatermass and the
1: Pit, colour. Yeah, um, but the first two are black and white, aren't the they? The first two are black and white, absolutely. But, you know, these films, they could... They could really have been made in color, but I wonder if that would have diminished the impacts on that this sporting life would not work if it was in color no. absolutely no it, no,
0: I know what you mean with this sporting life because he's sort of coming in and out of consciousness with the gas, isn't mm. he on the operating table yeah he's, he's he's injured after the match, isn't he and so yeah, the whole thing it. is framed by him going in and out of consciousness and remembering mm. his, his his the the sort of the recent events of his life. It's an astonishing film that. Oh, it's, it's amazing to see um oh God the fucking brain today. What is wrong with you boy? Is it Richard, Richard Harris Richard Harris, thank you. Yes. It's amazing to see Richard Harris young and muscular like that because we always sort of see him as this quite very slight bloke, don't we? He's quite skinny mm. and small. But he's yeah. like really a big brawling bruiser in that film.
1: Mm. But when I when I met him when he was shooting My Kingdom which was about ninety-seven or so, and he was staying in Liverpool, and uh, <clears throat> and he said precisely three words to me, which were vodka fucking off, um, <laughs> and that was it. And I told you that that was wonderful. Yeah. He was he was staying in um, the old moat house on Paradise Street, and I was there doing a murder mystery night, um, and I got killed off, which meant that you could just go and sit in the bar, and he was uh, staying there because he was doing My Kingdom. And Richard Harris is sat at the bar, uh, head in hand. Um, and I thought, Jesus, it's Richard Harris. I've, I've got to say hello. Yeah. Because just the, this sporting life, my first thought was to go and say, what was William Hartnell like? But I contained myself. Good. And I went over and I, I just said, I'm a huge fan of your work and of that uh, of that 1960s theatre. And I, I talked for a while and I said, C- can I buy you a drink? And he just glanced at me enough to sort of, like, give me a side look. And he went, vodka. And I went, yes, vodka, vodka, large vodka, Mr. Harris. And he, and he got the drink and he just knocked it back in one. And then he just went, oh, fuck off. And that was it. And it was wonderful. Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. I was delighted to have been yeah. told fuck off by Richard Harris. I was so happy with that. Um, Absolutely wonderful. Wonderful yeah. actor. God, he yeah. good.
0: There's a really he did some really very poor films as well. Oh, uh, yes. One of which is called the Cassandra Crossing. Do you know that one? I don't know that. Where he's one, on a I... runaway train. Oh. It's no, it's so shit.
1: It's great. Mm. It's so shit. It's really really good. So what have you got nice this week? Nice things wise. Well, I I only got I got one nice thing this week, and it almost didn't arrive because um, I ordered it from the states, and ah. I could I could watch its progress. Um, on a little map as yeah. it made its way from, I think, the Midwest through to um, New Jersey, down to New York. And it was doing this in record time. And then over it goes, over the Atlantic, and it lands in Britain, and then it just sits there. Is this yep. those dickheads sat on the motorway in their orange that, vests? It's Can I have it, please, now? Why can't I have my nice thing? It's just sat but then it arrived yesterday. Yes. And it is, it's a little Blu-ray. And it's, God, it's lovely. It's perfect for me. Um, It's the Jonathan Frid story. Now, Jonathan Frid is an actor we don't really know in this country particularly. Um, He was a Canadian actor. Okay. um, And a theatre actor. Very much a theatre actor. Um, But he did, he came across and he trained at RADA. Um, So he he did his work here and he worked in the West End and Olivier, and I never knew any of this before watching this, um, Olivier um, gave him lots of personal tutorship and basically taught him um, about the voice that's needed to perform classical theatre, you know, the fact that you have to use the lower part, you know, the register down here to deliver classical theatre, which is true, classical theatre sounds better if you use the lower register. Um, And so, basically, this is a documentary uh, biopic of Jonathan Frid's life. Now, he's most famous for the fact that he was going to give it all up um, because the work dried up a little, um, and he was going to move back from America to Canada. And then he got a call to appear in a TV show called Dark Shadows as a vampire. Um, and to watch, watch him perform in that is always... It's fascinating to watch him because he was theatre. So he would say himself he was slow study, he calls it. I was slow study. So he was used to getting the script and having months to ponder it. Now, of course, if you're doing a daytime soap, low budget, first of all, there's only about five actors in each episode, and he's in most of the episodes. And you got that script the night before, and you get to go through it, and then the next day they'd block it in the rehearsal room at 10 o'clock, then they'd have a camera block. Then they'd have a dress rehearsal. And then they'd do it. And it was basically live television Whoa. to the whole of the States. And a very technical show as well. Um And he did that for five years. And so to actually, yeah. Did to, he to visibly re- age? Oh, he does actually visibly age, And he he does this lovely uh, thing as well. When you can see that the lines have gone where his hand just grips whatever's closest to him every time, just the sheer fear. It's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. They had uh, they had auto-cue on this soap opera right. because it, a lot of it was monologues. People, uh, and you can just occasionally see that the eyes will wander and they'll just start reading them. Um, or lovely moments where the camera cuts to the wrong set. Um And there's a great example where you've got him and Grayson Hall. Grayson Hall was an um, Oscar-nominated actress who ended up in this show. Looking through the grill of a door, screaming down into a cellar because something awful is happening. And then it cuts away to the cellar, except they forgot to cut away. So you've got the two of them screaming through the door then they just relax for a moment. They look at each other and have a little chat, have a nice little chat, and then oh, let's get positions again, back in position, ready to start acting again. They're lovely moments like that. Um So, uh, yeah, Dark Shadows. Now, I had to import this on DVD. If I, if I adjust the camera for those watching in vision up to the, ah. the nice things on the top shelf, that top shelf there is basically all Dark Shadows, all 1,225 wow. episodes. Have you watched I mean. them all? Oh, Yes wow i absolutely have well we it, it's a strange thing it um it's a massive cultural phenomenon in uh, the states and it was a big favorite of uh, jackie kennedy and quentin tarantino was influenced by it and madonna cites it as a big influence on her life and we didn't have it in this country until about 1996 when the sci-fi channel started to show it um yeah. but to actually learn about this man's life but the the thing which shocked me and this shows you about the power that actors didn't have, which I think is an important thing. These days, when you've become a star actor, you have power. you know. Back then, you didn't. He was the lead in this um, show. And then they made a feature film version, which he didn't like because it went for the violence and the gore and the spectacle. And he said he, he wasn't keen on what they did with the character there. And these uh, films was made by MGM. And then there was a second film that was going to be made, Also by MGM. And he said, well, I don't want to be in that one because I didn't like what you did to the character. So MGM contacted the little company who made the TV show and said, well, in our opinion, if he doesn't like the character in the film, we don't see how he can be in the daytime soap. So they wrote to him and cancelled his contract. Good luck. And he was the star of this show, but the studio power was enough to say, well, if he doesn't want to be in our version, he can't be in the original, so get rid. Good Um, God. Amazing, really. Luckily enough, they cancelled the programme around the same time, so it didn't uh, didn't right. happen. But, uh, but to actually... There's nothing like, is there, actually, just the story of an actor's life from birth to death. Mm. Just lovely. Lovely. So that's my nice thing this week, which uh, I'm only halfway through. I should well, be that's finishing good. off. So you've got, but, got some oh, left. I've got some left. But, yeah, this is... For anybody any of our American uh, viewers and uh, listeners uh, I would recommend this uh, Dark Shadows and Beyond the Jonathan Frid story um but just to anybody who likes just hearing about actors you know yes. and seeing old photos of actors in rehearsal who are always smoking get get a copy of that it's beautiful stuff wonderful uh, When did he die then uh, 2012. Oh right, so um, he had a—he didn't die
0: of a broken heart after the show was cancelled.
1: No, no, he didn't. No, he—he he kept going, and he did. Uh, he kept going in theatre. He used to do one-man Shakespeare shows, wow. which is just to—to to be able to do that. And I've got a DVD of one of those, which is uh, he signed. Um, so I've got—I've got his signature in there, which is rather nice. But to see him doing these Shakespearean pieces, he was at home doing Shakespeare and doing right. classical theatre. Not so much at home doing basically live gothic hammer horror style soap. Opera. It's it's
0: such a conceit that I, I can't is. believe. I can't imagine it
1: happening over here. Oh no, it a absolutely soap opera, a vampire yeah, soap opera, a vampire so what well, werewolves and ghosts and all sorts of things, you know, and, and but done essentially live, but yeah, you know, a proper soap five days a week, which um, as they used to be, you know, I mean. Corrie and Emmerdale and so on, they weren't soaps because they weren't five days a week. Soaps had to be five days. Now, of course, there's six six times a week.
0: Oh, awful shit. Well, awful yeah, shit. So awful what do you shit, make of the Tim Burton movie? Yeah. Um, did they not keep in things like, did they not make it look like that? You know, you describe it having mic booms in shot and missed no, cues. No, nothing
1: and, like that. Um, and I, I love, even when they did the big budget version of this in 1970, there's still a, There's still one point where there's a bloody great microphone coming in from the bottom of shot on one scene, moving side to side. Right. No, there was none of that. I mean, they went big budget. And unfortunately, they went, they camped it up. Um, you know, they went for this campy humour and what I love about the original is it takes itself very seriously you know, it's that whole thing, we've invented a world in which there is a vampire and there are ghosts, yes we're just up the coast from New York yes people drive cars, there's a doctor there's a pub, there's all the usual things of a soap opera but there's also blatant theft from the great gothic novels and the local carpenter turns into a werewolf, but they took it so bloody seriously. Yeah. Whereas the, the, the film didn't. The film basically went, isn't this camp? There's that? nothing
0: better than shonky shit being done with a straight face, is there?
1: Absolutely. Oh my God, that's my. Fa- I think that's my favourite thing in the world. You can go as absurd as you want But the actors must never acknowledge that it is absurd. The moment you do that, you break the spell. Yeah, I think that's
0: where the end of the Williams era suffers with Doctor Who. Because Mm. they do start uh, hamming it up with the the shonkiness of the show.
1: They do. They start acknowledging that it is a bit of a lark, isn't it? Yeah. No, this this is peril. This is you've created a world and that world can be as absurd as you want but to you that is reality yeah. you've got to play the reality and to be fair to them in this show they always do and they, they it's heightened acting it's always heightened acting yeah. not there is not one undelivered line in the whole thing there's plenty of lines which are delivered badly plenty of lines that are delivered wrong there's some lovely examples there's an episode which you watch and it's very tense And you can't quite work out why, but the actors are very tense in it. And it turns out it's because one of the cast of five that day was pissed and didn't come in. So they had to phone (laughs) up another member of cast and went, look, we're on in two hours. Can you get down and do his part? So he just comes down and he just has to do it. You you couldn't do that now. I don't think you've got people who'd have the balls to do that now. No, I mean, I I don't think people are allowed
0: to drink alcohol and work now in any... I suppose they do.
1: They probably do. do. Um, but they're not meant to. I mean, oh, good God no. You know. I mean, imagine. Yeah, I think that'd be a cardinal sin. Say, for example, in our profession, that'd be oh, oh God, good yeah, God, good God, yeah, something like you know horrific. But I think even in theatre, I think it was David Garrick. He was the first person to introduce the idea of a fine uh, if his actors turned up pissed. Yeah, you'd still go on stage, but you would get fined yeah. uh, for that. But um, yeah, that sort of thing. There's another <sighs> chap who was very famously experimenting with LSD uh, quite a lot when he was on the show. And on his last episode, he was coming down from a trip. And it was an episode in which he had to be attacked by a werewolf. So if you imagine you're coming down off, a, off some fairly heavy LSD and suddenly there's a werewolf running at you and you're on live television... So, oh.
0: Wow. I I can't imagine anything more fucking terrifying.
1: I know. Absolutely. But that episode you watch it and and I realize now why that actor never worked again. He buggered off to Connecticut and lived right. on a farm in the middle of nowhere. Which you would do after that. Oh you. yes. It sounds like these fuckers were savages,
0: man. Mm. Really partying hard and just um and, and being stars. Because I mean they must have been I've never heard of Jonathan Fridd, I'd never heard of mm. Dark Shadows until you went on mm. about it. But there must have been a cultural phenomenon if they lasted oh, all those. Absolutely years. Absolutely
1: was. Anyone in America who's sort of like was yeah school kids at that age, it was it appealed to it was one of those mass a mass popular thing. It appealed to the to the housewives and to the kids. It had that broad appeal. Yeah. Um and there's cine footage from outside the studios. These people would go in at ten and they'd record it and then they'd leave. And the street outside the studio is just covered covered in kids, wow. and when Jonathan Fridge used to go off and do promotional events, it's like when you see footage of the Beatles and he's being driven down the streets of these various American towns in an open top Cadillac waving, and there's just crowds, bunkers everywhere, absolutely everywhere lusting after this vampire figure, who is in fact being played by a gentleman in his late 40s who's only ever done classical theatre um, it's suddenly he becomes this this star, but after it, did a couple of films. I think he did Oliver Stone's first ever feature film, and then just very very gently went back to theatre and was was happy happiest doing theatre. Which
0: well, what a lovely note to end on. I think so. Yeah. For someone lovely to life. have a lovely life. It's it's yes. been a strange, another sleepy one. I'm very uh, post hospitaly and sleepy.
1: Mm today i'm afraid so um, well, you, would you like to give a quick update how, for the boys and girls how oh. is how is the old shoulder
0: um well pain greatly lessened which is lovely uh, i can now get in and out of bed which is nice mm-hmm. um perfect. but yeah so the the whole collarbone is shattered i'm afraid well, it's all right so there's a big fracture here right mm-hmm. which is healing and then between here and the shoulder, I saw the x-ray yesterday in the hospital and it was it's just like pieces. Oh. It's just like shit. And, and what started me off when I went in the hospital yesterday morning was, <clears throat> so I went in and um, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, uh, you know, go for your x-ray. So it goes for the x-ray. And and when I walked into the x-ray room, um, the the girl operating the thing, she was just like, I've been looking at your previous x-rays. What did you do? And it was just like, no, I don't want to hear this. Oh, no, no, you know, no, no. You, you want them to just be like, oh, I see a thousand of these a day. Yeah, You know, but for her to be sort of like a bit like, oh, what on earth did you do? I was like, oh, why? What do you think I did? <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? It, was, it just put me on edge straight away. Um. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it will fix itself. Hopefully so. But, um, yeah. It you didn't can, hold Tom
1: Baker back at the end of the day when No, he but this.
0: if he had a clean break, he'd be all right. I mean, what, what I've got is I've got a fracture here, uh, a mid-fracture, and then by the shoulder, it's in, like, lots of pieces. It's shattered. The mm-hmm. bone's shattered. Um, so I think that the best I can work out, I must have done the John Inman, which yeah. is going, going from the vertical to landing on the stairs, mm-hmm. and the drop must have been... About nine foot, some, and I've landed on my shoulder. Um, yeah. And the way that your collarbone works, it's a shock absorber, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That breaks to save your shoulder smashing. So the force that I've hit the stairs with is just—it's just atomized the damn thing. So, yeah. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, the the way they talk to me, it's like the fuck—they—they're like, you should be dead, mm. you know, with such a fall. So, yeah. um. You know, I mean, it's remarkable, really. You Ooh. know, it is quite remarkable. It's yes. it's one of those things, and ultimately, I mean, it can be fixed. It's not. It's like you know, I've been bloody lucky. I've been bloody yeah. lucky. That's all yes. I can say. Lucky? What's that in? <laughs> what do you mean, lucky? Isn't it League of Gentlemen or something? Where he's talking is, to the yeah. blind fella. <laughs> yes. and he's like, I, I saw this. I saw this. Um, the, uh, Tales of the Unexpected once and they had this brain in a tank and you know, well, if you're lucky that could be you <laughs> if I'm lucky <laughs> so yeah, um. Yeah, man, fucking, it's one of those things I am lucky. I had a good plunk on the piano this morning. Oh, which, that's good. It was depressing me. It was like, I want to play that. So I want to mm. have a crack at the guitar because I've got sort of like, you know, it's like, I, I shouldn't have so much mobility in this arm, but I do. Yeah. And, and then he was like, well, why is you, you know, because I asked him about slings because I had the fucking, as, as the children last week, gleefully, and you enjoyed also. Um, re, you know, they said I looked like the butler out of Scary Movie with my hand yeah. up there. Uh, so I, I shouldn't have had that, you know. No. And as you affectionately referred to it, the wanking claw. Um, the so, you know, I, I, I know you're uh, a
1: sympathetic man. Terribly um, sympathetic, yeah. Well, if if anybody out there would like to uh, pass on their condolences to Mr. Livesey, what better way to do it could there be than getting onto the Twitter feed and following yeah. us there at, at Nice Things Show. have left it to the end again, bugger. Oh, no. um, uh, and of course, you could always leave us a lovely review on uh, Apple yes, Podcasts please. or wherever you find it. Lovely, hit the five stars for us. That's always would be delicious. It, but, uh, yes. Well, here's so, to yes.
0: fun times ahead. Here's the fun times ahoy. Let's uh, let's let's look to the future. There's no point yes. looking down the stairs. Oh, Don't so. God, no. Uh, to all of you at home, have a lovely week, and until the next time, bye bye.
1: Bye bye. <laughs>